I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. This week, we've got a brilliant episode with Catherine Topham Sly, a relationship therapist who will be talking us through self-care for our relationships throughout pregnancy and parenthood. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to dive deep and start talking about relationships and, you know, how it's, it changes during pregnancy and after you become a parent. And I suppose to begin with, we'd just love to know about how this came to be what you became passionate about doing in your life. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, yeah, I'm a mum of two. I've got two girls who are 10 and eight um, and I've been with my husband for 18 years this year. And um, yeah, we had an amazing experience of couples therapy ourselves actually before we had kids that really, really helped set us up for the the transition that we went for. It was just a couple of years before we had our first. And, uh, you know, even having had that experience, it was tough. It's not an easy transition for any couple, I don't think. So I, well, off, off the back of that experience, I decided that I wanted to train as a counsellor. And part of what made me want to get into this work was that I think I've got a bit of a kind of a taboo busting strain in me. You know, I just, I've, if there's a topic that people don't want to talk about it, I kind of want to go there. And I really found that this is the area that just so many people find it really, really difficult to talk about, about relationships, about how hard they can be. And particularly in that transition to parenthood, they can be so hard. And what happens when we don't talk about things is that people think that they're alone in them and they blame themselves when they find things hard. So that was what really motivated me to get into talking about this more. Um, And through the training that I did, I've learned absolutely loads about what we actually need to do in order to have a great relationship. And I just wanted to share more of that stuff. Mm. So I started running events where I give a talk on a different theme each time, which I usually do in a room above a pub. Obviously, that's not happening at the moment. So I've moved into doing online courses as well. Um, And I just do loads of stuff on social media as well, just trying to encourage that conversation more broadly and also just share all the research there is into how to have a great relationship. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Becky and I, we've chatted about this lots and we've, you know, this is a subject that often comes up when we are either running classes or when Becky's doing her doula work. And I think it's absolutely essential to spend a bit of focused time before these babies arrive, you become a parent for the first or second or third or however many, you know, however far you are on your parenting journey. And we just revisit what that means to your relationship. And we kind of have open dialogue about it. Yeah, it's really important. And it's so right that it's not just the first baby, you know, the transition Mm. when you have that first child is huge, but bringing another baby in, uh, you know, or more subsequent ones, it really does shake things up all over again. It brings up new and different things for you. So it's really important to keep talking about it all the way along. Definitely. And I think it's one of those things where in pregnancy, you expect your body to change. So everybody is kind of, they're expecting physical changes, but we forget about all the kind of the mental changes that happen, you know, the changes that happen in our mind about 
who we're going to be, our identity, you know, how we're going to fit together. And it's something that comes up all the time and clients say to us, you know, what can we do? Is there anything we can do ahead of it? You know, and like you're saying, you went to counselling before the baby came, you know, which is amazing, but not many people would think to do that, would they? Because we don't talk enough about it. Yeah, it's not very common these days. You know, there used to be premarital counselling, but it's not really such a thing now, is it? And that's really true. You know, we're so often aware of all the physical things to expect, aren't we? Like, you know, we know that we're going to be sleep deprived. We know we're going to have to recover from the pregnancy and the childbirth. But actually the stress of learning to be a parent, learning to feed your baby, the drop in sexual desire that often comes for so many women, you know, these things put real pressure on you as individuals and as a couple. And we really need to recognise these and talk to each other about them. I think just, just on that note there, Catherine, that's, again, something I, I like to discuss because I really want partners to understand what's going on with mum-to-be's postnatal body and mm-hmm. what's happening with her hormones so they can understand what happens when your your oestrogen drops and your progesterone drops and what impact that has on you physically, sexually, you know, and then... The other layers are, like you say, the sleep deprivation and also adapting to being a new parent and the guilt that sometimes comes along with trying to do the very best you can and not always feeling like you're achieving perhaps the sort of motherhood journey you imagined it would be before you became a parent. So I think that's so important. Things so often change in ways that we don't expect them to, don't they? You know, we, Mm. I think we kind of, we expect some kind of identity shift, but what it's going to be, we just don't know. You know, it's so common to feel differently about things like work, family, you know, our values can really shift and it's not always in the ways that we expect them to. And the impact that has on the relationship can be huge. And yeah, that, that you know, understanding about the, the biology of it all can be so helpful mm. because, you know, particularly with the drop in sexual desire that happens for some women, it's also complicated, isn't it? Because you've got the stuff going on between the two of you, plus the stuff that's happening in your body. And it can be hard to separate those out. Mm. And then sometimes we can think that the cause is something different to what it is. Of course. And also understanding that comparison trap as well. And so this is something that comes up in pregnancy. And we, we wrote about it in the little book of self-care for mums-to-be was that we gave some do's, don'ts and gentle suggestions, didn't we, Becky? Yeah. And I think that's because some people's libido will go up. Some people's libido will completely shrivel up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they won't be interested. And it's just about understanding that both outcomes are actually very normal, mm-hmm. just different experiences. And just to keep talking, which is, I guess, where, you know, you work with couples, but but basically having the conversations, because I know for me postnatally, I changed from day to day, you know, one day I felt like this way, the next day I was completely different and my hormones were all over the place, Mm. but I was lucky that we could talk quite openly. But I think a lot of people don't have the conversations and they're just carrying on, you know, it's it's this taboo subject, even within couples sometimes, isn't it? Because there's almost this thing that if, if it's, you know, if, if it's not working, that something's uh, like your relationship's bad, but actually Mm -hmm. it just takes a bit of work, doesn't it? Or a bit of chatting and kind of. Yeah. It's a massive adjustment, isn't it? You know, I always Mm. say to people, keep talking and keep touching because another thing that happens is that when we're not having sex we sometimes stop touching each other completely and actually it that really has a big impact on how bonded we feel Mm. you know those little touches on the arm giving each other a hug you know reaching out to each other they really make a big difference to how we feel about each other and we can find ourselves in a place where we feel quite separate so I always Mm. recommend to people to kind of have in your mind we need to talk and touch talk and touch I absolutely love that. And I kind of feel like that has parallels actually for women and their birth partners Mm. about just good communication through the whole process of planning what birth might look like and evolving if if that pathway changes on the day of the birth. And then as you head into the postnatal experience together as Mm. sort of a, you know, as a unit, I love that talking and touching. I think that's essential. And feeling separate is quite a common theme that comes up quite a lot, actually, where, you know, quite often your partner will go back to work and you're home looking after the baby and they're doing that thing and you're doing this thing and you're both quite consumed by these big things that you're doing. And and then neither of you have sort of space for each other. And then you end up living quite sort of separately. And I mean, Lex, you had a you had a thing, didn't you, with your husband where he found you crying in the garden one day, which Mm. we then put into our book. (laughs) We did because I I wanted to talk about it, Catherine, just like you were saying. I wanted 
women to read it and know that they are not alone in feeling that way. I had, just to give a bit of context to it, I had a three-year fertility journey before I became a mum, which was pretty tricky as a midwife. Mm. It wasn't the best job to be in at going yeah. through that experience. But um, eventually I was very lucky and I had fertility treatment and I had my lovely son, who's now nine. And then in very, very quick succession, I got pregnant again nine months afterwards. So there wow. I find myself with an 18-month-old baby and a newborn. And I truly did not know who I was for about six months. I was, I felt like I had been absolutely thrown into the deep end. And what Becky's referring to there is my husband, um, who works for a corporate company, quite long hours. You know, he was back at work and back on the on the, the wheel very quickly. And when my daughter was five months old, he came back and found me crying in the garden after a long day at work. And he came out and he said, you know, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm not okay. And it actually wasn't, it wasn't postnatal depression. It wasn't that. It was, um, I didn't know, I truly did not know who I was in that moment. And I remember saying, I just feel like mum. That's who I am now. I'm mum and I'm wife and I'm a housekeeper. And I'm not quite sure where Alexis fits into all of that anymore. And I just had had a really, really rough day. And he said to me, this isn't okay. And I remember him saying, we, we can't, can't go on like this. This isn't okay for you. And so that was where we tried to write down a bunch of things that might help. And he um, said that we should try this thing that he coined Freedom Friday, which was basically like, that could be something that we would do together for a couple of hours on a Friday evening. Or it could be that he would always be available to you know, be the main caregiver to our kids on a Friday evening and that that was my time to to leave the home if I wanted to and to go and see my friends or I was known to go on the odd cinema trip on my own or kind Wonderful. of, you know, what, go for a walk, go, you know, whatever it was that just filled me up. But when he did that, the, honestly, if I had a little bit of resentment, which I definitely did at times to him appearing to kind of be going out the door and living the life he always left, it just made me feel really seen and heard yeah. and that it did matter and it validated how I was feeling rather than him turning around and saying, well, what are you crying about? This is what you wanted, which mm. would have obviously just shut down that communication immediately. Yeah, that's really wonderful to hear. And that's such a great idea. I mean, resentment, you know, it, it's, it happens. It makes sense. Of course, it's going to happen. But it's, it's one of those things that is a big taboo. And, um, you know, it's a really, it's a tough transition, isn't it? Because you kind of, you go from a place before you have children where you feel, I think, looking back so much more similar, you know, mm. so much more equal, mm. especially, you know, if both of you are working, both of you may be working full time, you've probably got a much more even division of who's doing what around the home. And then usually what happens in straight couples is that her life changes a lot more than his. You know, that story that you've just told Alexis is so common of going through mm. a phase where you feel like, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm just mum. And it's not something that you hear from men, is it? It's much, much rarer for men to yeah. go through that experience. So it can feel so disconnecting. But what I really love about that story that you just told, Alexis, is how you listened to that feeling and you realised that what you needed to ask yourself, or maybe it was your partner who actually was the one who had the kind of clarity of mind to, to ask a question, but it was, what do you need? And this yeah. is what we need to do when we feel resentment, is to take it as a signal that some need of ours is not getting met. Because so often we can sit there stewing, thinking, oh, he's so lucky. I can't believe he gets to spend two hours on the train every day sitting there yes. reading in peace and commuting but I did exactly that I got so we had a raging row over the commute and Barney was so cross with me for being jealous of his commute he's like I'm commuting I'm like you're on a train on your own so you're right and actually it was it was a bigger picture than that and he was just like what are you doing you know mm. moaning about the fact that he got the train every day it's crazy it's such it? a common thing and it's so funny isn't it because before you have kids you never ever would have thought of the commute as being some kind of special time for yourself would you but so many couples where one commutes go through that yeah. um, and you really need to think about well what is this resentment or this jealousy yeah. or whatever the feeling is what is it telling me about what I need like Becky I think and 
what sounds like Catherine, a lot of women that you work with potentially is that I used to see Dan. We once had again, a little bit like Becky, we had a bit of a row about it. And I said, you just skip out the door in the morning. And he was like, it's really interesting that you use the word skip because (laughs) there's kind of there's real connotations there isn't there of joy and freedom and like this lightness and he was like I don't ever skip out of the door (laughs) that literally physically doesn't happen (laughs) but but honestly if I visualized it that's kind of what it looked like to me so what can we do if you're because because quite often when we're working with pregnant couples a lot of the time it is is the the woman carrying the baby that says i'm really worried i'm really worried about how we're going to be afterwards you know what can we cuz one of the things that we do quite a lot is we talk to women about preparing for afterbirth while you're still pregnant because when you're mm-hmm. in the hazy days it's very hard to have the headspace um so we talk very much about doing fourth trimester plans and putting stuff in place for afterwards so in terms of your like self-care for your relationship what can you do as a couple to prepare yourself for the for the after bit one of the most important things that you can do is to get in the habit of talking about your relationship because you know there's there's loads of stuff that happens that's very very normal but if you're not used to talking about it that can really put extra pressure on you know Mm -hmm. it's really normal to have many more disagreements than you used to because you have to make all these new decisions and you have to make a lot of joint decisions when before you could quite often just say oh you know you do what suits you and I'll do what suits me and you can't do that anymore once you have a baby so of course you're going to fall out over more things you know, it's most couples find that they have less conversation and they find the conversation that they do have more stressful. The thing that makes it really, really hard for couples is when they don't know that this is completely normal. So they panic and they think it means that their relationship is in trouble. They think that maybe we're not meant to be together or there's something wrong with us or we're doing something wrong. So the more you can talk about this stuff ahead of time, you know, the more you'll be prepared and you'll be less upset by it when it happens. But also just practicing talking about your relationship and getting into the habit of talking about how you feel and what you need. Because mm-hmm. that's what's going to really get you through is being able to have those kinds of conversations. So, you know, you might um, you might be able to just kind of up this by just being aware of that and thinking about it and looking for the little moments. Or you might want to kind of schedule it in, make some kind of time, you know, have a kind of weekly check in. How are you doing? What's going on with you? What are you worried about? What do we need to plan for? can be another way to do it which we don't do very often do we we don't actually as couples one of the things as a as a doula what I often do particularly if I'm working with couples who have had a previously tricky birth is we do one whole session and I get them their homework is to go away and to to write down all the things that they're excited for for the labor and all the things that they're really anxious about for the labor but to do it separately so keep it secret you know don't don't talk about Mm -hmm. it until that session and it's always really interesting a how little they knew of each other's anxieties and b how how much they enjoy it how much they're like this is so nice we never sit down and talk about this Mm. like I don't ever sit down and ask you all the things you're anxious about and then in turn I don't get to say all the things I'm anxious about and it's always a really lovely session I always love facilitating that and I think actually something like like you're saying it's almost like you could do that in your pregnancy as well, couldn't you? Yeah, 100%. You can set that up yourself at home, can't mm. you? That sounds like a really great activity that you do. Mm. And you know, it's something that happens in my work with couples all the time is that I'll say to one of them, or even with individuals, that when they're describing something, I'll say to them, and have you told them that? And they'll quite often say, oh, she knows or he knows. And if mm. they're both there in the room, and I'll say to the other one, did you know that? And they say, no. <laughs> You know, we're going around with these assumptions all the time that our partners can basically read our minds or that, of course, it's obvious how I feel about this or that, but it's not that obvious. And also, like you said, it's such a lovely experience to share it. You know, even if you do kind of more or less know how your partner feels about something, actually hearing it from them is really connecting. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, Catherine, about when things get a little bit further down, perhaps a bit of a rocky road. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of got to a point where communication's become a little bit of a problem and there's been a few sort of breakdowns in that that connection with each other. And I have couples that I work with that say things along the line of, as soon as I ask them if they can help me with something or that I'm feeling one way, 
they, they shut down that conversation and they say, oh, well, here we go again and you're nagging again. And the defensiveness comes up immediately. And I wonder whether from your perspective, having worked obviously so many couples and so experienced on the subject, really, what you might suggest you know, if, if women and their partners are experiencing this a little bit further down the road where that, that conversation, there's a really big problem in that conversation with each other, even the getting it started in the first place. If things are worrying you or bothering you or meaning that perhaps you're not, not as happy as you could be. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? It's hard to talk about hard things that we're going through. And often what happens is because it's obviously something that we're not happy about, that we notice that makes us know that we need to address something, that can quite often be what we say. So, you know, we kind of will come out with things like, you're not listening to me, you're not helping me, or you never do this or that. And of course, that's going to elicit defensiveness and and lead to arguments because nobody wants to hear stuff like Mm. that, do they? Mm. So what I always recommend to people is that they use a model from um, nonviolent communication. And on my social media, I always, I call this the asking for what you need model, because I think it's just the best thing to just remind people often that this is what we need to be doing. We need to be asking for what we need. So the way that it works is that you should use four things, which is you make an observation, you share a feeling, you talk about what you need, and then you make a request. So for example, you might say to your partner something like, um, you know, when we're getting ready to go out and you get yourself ready while I gather everything that the baby needs, it leaves (laughs) me feeling kind of it's a classic example. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It leaves me feeling abandoned and irritated you know, I need to feel like we're doing this together. Please, would you be proactive about checking the change bag? So you see the difference? God, that's so good, isn't it? It's so much harder to respond defensively to that. Yeah. (laughs) And then obviously you have to be, it's a request the last bit. So you have to be open to negotiation. So then, you know, sometimes you might get a response to something like, well, I don't know what goes in the change bag. And at that point, it's really easy to just get frustrated and give up, isn't it? But then you can, you know, try and problem solve from there. So how about we write a list together that we could both look at whenever we're going out somewhere? So actually facilitating that that situation where you're sharing things more evenly. You see, this is why we need Catherine in our lives, Becky. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> if you could just move in, that would be great. Yeah, I definitely have been guilty of not doing any of that and going and and then obviously doing that that real martyr thing of like oh I'll just do it myself and then Mm -hmm. getting really resentful and then blowing up having a huge row and then he looks shocked he's like what I don't I don't know what was going on you know because I think he's clocked it and he's just you know actively avoiding it he just hasn't even thought about it and I guess in a way I've got so cross that I haven't I haven't even got the headspace to do that that process whereas I guess maybe that's another reason why you need to do it regularly because then if you're Mm -hmm. in a calmer place and you haven't let it build up you can you know ask nicely and say you know I feel this way and not you know and I think that yeah it's really important because I think when you're busy sometimes you just do it don't you and then you resent and and that's Mm -hmm. when the resentment builds up definitely I think this is absolutely essential always at all times but in those early months of parenthood as well because I'm thinking about when that real hazy exhaustion is thrown into the mix as well and how that feels for both sides. I understand, you know, from both sides mm. um, of the relationship. And then, of course, you just bottle, if, if, if you bottle it up and you don't, like Catherine just said, bring up the change bag when the change bag thing happened, then in a month's time, you're going to have 20 things to all bring up in one massive argument yeah. It's a it's a really difficult balance, isn't it? Picking your battles, you know, not picking up on every little thing so that you're getting into a constant cycle where your partner feels like they're criticized. But also, yeah, not saving things up, addressing things as and when they happen. Because then Quite. it comes out over something silly. And I remember we had a, a similar thing where I had been not saying, not saying, not saying and feeling quite resentful. And then I had an almighty meltdown 
because he'd done the poppers up wrong on the baby grow and he'd left, you know, I mean, how many, I don't know how many people do this. It really bothered me. You know, when they do the crutch bit and there's a big, you know, they haven't done it properly. And I was like, oh my God. And in my head, it meant he didn't care for our baby. He was lazy. He was, you know, I'd made a bad choice for a husband. And he was like, wow, it's literally a popper. You know, it was kind of, because I'd got myself into such a tizzy. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? Oh, the totally. straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, and I remember, exactly. I was with Dan for 12 years before we had our first baby because we we met each other when we were at school and of course we have lots of rows as well you know and especially in the early days of the two very young children that real tiredness that you get with a young mm. family and I do remember just looking at him once and I can't even remember what it was about but him throwing that you know old cliche well I suppose that's my fault as well isn't it <laughs> and just thinking oh everything shuts down and we just ignore each other for the next two hours yeah. I mean the thing about tiredness is that it can quite quickly start to feel like a competition can't it because yes. if you're tireder than you have ever been in your entire life of course you're going to feel like you're the tiredest person who has ever lived yeah. you know, how could it possibly be that this other person who seems to be asleep when you're awake in the middle of the night could be feeling tired they don't know what tiredness is yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. absolutely and again going back to that you know comparison trap Dan would would be off at work as I said skipping out the door to his day of freedom <laughs> and hot coffees but of course when it really came down to it and we chatted about it he thought that I was at home having coffee mornings and cake mornings with all of my friends all day long for like months and months on end and so I think like you say it's about really understanding what each other's day really looked like in reality and that it, n neither one of us was having it easy really. Yeah and when you mention their kind of you know coffee mornings and stuff it, it it's making me think about how sometimes dads can actually feel quite sidelined through mm. the process of becoming parents because there's a, a sort of culture of women that springs up which you know it's a wonderful thing for women who are lucky enough to have that kind of support but it can sometimes make men feel like they're not really included or they're not needed and that can be really difficult for them to talk mm. about. Um, and so sometimes that can come out in the arguments as well, can't it? Or it can lead to a situation where, you know, men are, you know, that they're kind of, the idea of a father of, of, as a provider is so deeply ingrained, isn't it? That often when men are feeling the pressure, the financial strain from having a new baby, sometimes they can bury themselves in work. And then that can create more conflict. It can exacerbate all the things that we've been talking about, can't it? That kind of idea that he's skipping out to work. And that feeling that things are so different between you. Quite, no, I totally agree. Catherine, if somebody is absolutely exhausted and sometimes it's so bizarre when you come through those early days of, of motherhood to really remember how it felt back then. But when the baby is very, very wakeful in the night and that kind of like, you know, especially if you've got other children as well who wake early in the morning and, and it feels like that 24 hours is just a blur. Are there any tips that you could give or any suggestions to help somebody in that position with communication with their partner when they're frazzled, they're on their knees with tiredness? Yeah, I think the the thing about this real tiredness is that there's actually no point in talking about difficult issues when you're in that place. Mm. You know, mm. when we're really tired, when we're in a really bad mood, when we're feeling really insecure, we don't actually have any proper perspective on what's going on. So you know what it's like. We've all got into those arguments where you're just thinking, this is going nowhere. This is actually completely <laughs> pointless. We both just feel terrible and we're just making ourselves and each other feel worse. So actually having that conversation at a time when you're not really tired and getting into an argument about how pointless those conversations are and agreeing not to have them. Mm. For some couples, it's enough to just be able to say to each other, I think this might be one of those ones where we're both shattered, should we leave it? But if if that isn't enough for you and you find that you're sort of still snipping at each other, it can help to agree a word or a phrase that you'll say if you're in that situation. And that if that happens, you're just going to drop it. And you might go to separate rooms, um, you know, if it's kind of getting really tense between you. And the important thing that you need to do if you do this is to come back to it. So ideally, we would come back to it within 24 hours. And I know when you're in that real kind of deep phase, you might be thinking, well, I'm never not tired. But it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, you can have better moments. 
So, you know, even if it's just to say, sorry about last night, I was just tired. Um, it is important that we come back to things because we don't want this to become a conflict avoidance strategy because facing our differences is is really important if we want to stay together long term and be happy together. But it's about choosing the right moments to have the conversations. I was just thinking about sort of running themes with, you know, couples that we work with. I'm sure you have with couples you work with. There's There's very common, you know, there's a couple we've laughed about already where if you're a parent, you know, you know it immediately, like the packing the change bag and, you mm-hmm. know, the, the popping of the poppers. And obviously one that comes up time and time again and throughout is the mental load. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this um, even if you are practically sharing responsibilities, there's the, the mental load that always seems to fall on the caregiver maybe I I don't know is it is it always the mum like if the dad is the main caregiver does the mental load fall to them or is it still I absolutely love this topic Becky I'm really excited about talking about this (laughs) I'm actually writing my next online course about this one because it's such a useful thing to work on because it impacts on every area of your relationship it really really does does. and actually our kids are older we're not really tired touch wood we're lucky we don't row very often but it's the mental load that is the one that gets us snipping Mm. at each other because you know I'm cross that he hasn't thought that they might need new shoes for school you know it's all, all that sort of thing so yeah any information you can give us (laughs) <laughs> it does tend to be the main caregiver. Yeah. In the cases where in straight couples, in the cases where it is the man who carries the mental load, in most cases, he is the one who's doing the majority of the childcare. Yeah. But obviously it's difficult to separate those things out because most of us were raised by women who worked less than their partners, than male partners. So, and you know, it is still the norm in our culture, isn't it? That mum is sort of the more primary parent. So, Right from when we're very little girls, we look at mums and we think, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lovely mummy just like her. And we don't know about any of the arguments or any of the sense of burden that that we we might be carrying as women. We just think, isn't mummy amazing? She does everything and I want to be just like her and I'm going to look after everybody's needs. And then we're given toys and games that reinforce it. And um, as women, I think we do, we have to be willing to look at ourselves and consider how we actually uphold the situation because mm. there is a part of us having been through all of that that quite likes being in control of things. Mm-hmm. You know? Up yep. until the point <laughs> where we blow up, where it's yeah. too much, it's actually, it's lovely being mum, isn't it? You know, it's a dream come true for most women to have that amazing bond and that responsibility. And, you know, sometimes we can maintain this by being quite perfectionist and quite impatient, you know, wanting things done our own way. So if we really want to make a change in this area, there are a few things that we can do, but they're not all easy. They do involve a bit of introspection and challenging ourselves sometimes. So one of the main ones is to stop telling your partner what to do. And you might be thinking, I don't tell my partner what to do. But every time we give them instructions for something that competent adults are perfectly capable of working out for themselves, we're actually undermining them, you know, building that confidence and that experience that they need to carry that load. Um, You know, we need to do a lot less correcting and a lot more thanking. And I'm particularly guilty of this one. The little things that I catch myself saying to my husband, telling him that he's doing wrong, it's like, just, there's like 10 different ways to do that. Why am I telling him that the one that he's picked is wrong? But it is, it's, it, you know, it it comes back to what I was just saying about kind of um, growing up from a very young age, thinking this is going to be the, the sort of the place where I'm very respected and valued. And, and it's difficult to see somebody else stepping into that role that you imagine you have the responsibility for. So yeah, I've got a, a few more tips on this one. You know, what we were talking about, about talking to each other regularly, if you can if you can talk about your general division of labour and any specifics that are coming up soon when you're having that chat, that can be really useful as well. Who's doing what this week? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
we talk about this in the book and it's something that Becky and I are really passionate about because we were like, it's it's interesting in those early days, Catherine, with new babies again, that suddenly this really long list of chores around the house, for example, mm. is created perhaps within your own mind and you haven't discussed it all thoroughly. And if you could just sit down and have a conversation and say, you know what, these three things would make such have such a positive impact on my life if we could just keep on top of them, whatever Mm -hmm. those might be to you. And obviously it's different for everybody. Like if the lounge could just stay tidy, Mm -hmm. even if the rest of the house is a mess, so that I've got somewhere I can can go with the baby and just have this quiet time with them. And, And we talk about the fact that sometimes if you just have a little bit of cause over just a few things, it just, it can be quite self-soothing and make you feel a bit more in control again. And and Becky, you're one who often says this, if you try to do everything, you can end up doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really true. And so so you saying about having that that communication about the, you know, those little things can have such a massive impact. Yeah, and knowing that your partner has heard you and really cares about what those particular things are is really meaningful as well, isn't it? That's a big one for us that that we have worked through was the kind of, uh, yeah, 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 I'll do it. And I was like, you haven't listened. And then you Mm. get that, so then that perfectionist control freak kicks in where I'm like, he won't do it, he won't do it, so I'll just do it. And then like Mm. you say, that's completely reinforcing it, isn't it? So it's because of that vicious cycle of, you know, I think he's not listening. So I then do it anyway. And then he doesn't do it. And then I get cross that he hasn't done it. And it's like, and round we go. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> round and round. Yeah. But you yeah. know, the main thing that really makes a big difference on this one is actually to just leave the house, to just yes. leave your partner with the children as mm. much as possible, much, much more than you do now. You know, you can make a habit of going to an exercise class every Saturday or, you know, if you're, say you say you're going out to meet friends, you know, once once your children are old enough for this, rather than waiting until they're in bed to go, go as soon as your partner gets home from work, you know, maximize the time that they're spending the kids with the kids. Go, go away for the weekend with your best mate as, you know, as soon as you can, because really it's only when we experience being fully responsible for everything that we're going to get it. I mean, if you had never been left alone with your children for a whole weekend, you wouldn't know what it's like to have to remember everything that they need. Yes, absolutely. No, I agree. And you know, uh, Catherine, Becky and I both work on the weekends. And typically when that happens, both our husbands are the the main caregivers Mm -hmm. for our kids. um, Because I might be up in London for a whole weekend teaching. Um, And so same thing happens with Becky. And that has been the biggest, has had the biggest impact and perhaps Mm -hmm. has had the biggest learning curve for us as a family, really. And also the kids' relationships with their dad. It's that's just wonderful that they have that closeness that they, you know, that then they know that they can go to him for their needs in the same way that they would go to you because it's just become normal for them to do that. Yes. But it's really important actually you saying about leaving the house because I, so when, when the kids were little, I would work a couple of evenings because I was the main caregiver. Bonnie's work's a bit inflexible. So I'd work a few evenings and then I'd work a whole Saturday, but I was really anxious about leaving him you know, at the beginning, leaving him on his own with the kids and, you know, and I was sort of helicoptering. Okay, so they do, you know, do this and do that. And like you say, like there are a hundred ways that you can look after a kid in a day, right? It doesn't have to be my Mm -hmm. schedule and my thing, but I was so controlling about it. And I felt so worried about him and I went off and I came back and he was pumped and the kids were pumped and they'd all had such a good day. And I was like, oh, actually it's really good for them you know and I needed to leave because otherwise I was always like they would default to me or I would hover and helicopter around Mm. and it became this funny thing that the kids after a few Saturdays they only ever wanted Barney to bath them they would cry if I tried to do it and I was like oh and of course he loved that and and then one day I came home early and I went upstairs into the bathroom and there was no shampoo, there was no soap. They had snorkel masks and snorkel <laughs> things on. And they were like in the van. And I went to go in and start going, oh my God, you know, they're not washing their hair. And I just managed to stop myself and go, but how lovely is that, that they've got this Saturday like sneaky bar thing that they do that they know is pretty much against the rules, but you know, it's fun dad time. And mm. so, yeah, for me, it was, there's a lot of checking yourself, isn't there as well, rather than, um, yeah, definitely. you know. And Becky, I had a similar situation with Dan, whereby I, I'd been up teaching for a weekend and I came back and I'm sure I've said this to you before, and he'd made all the colour of the rainbows Play-Doh with them, like they'd made it from scratch. <laughs> and they'd done all this like baking and the house was a mess, but we won't go there. But also, 
the next week when he was back at work and I was with them all the time, I remember my daughter turning to me and saying, why can't you be fun like daddy? (laughs) I know. But Catherine, like Becky was just saying, you kind of have to be just grateful and let it go and sort of think, you know, it's, isn't it brilliant that they have such fun with him Mm -hmm. that they recognise that when we're having to do some of the more sort of, you know, the logistics, getting you to school on time and things like that, you know, some of the more mundane things that we do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, imagine wanting to take that away from them. Of course, yeah. of course you wouldn't. And actually going back to the early days again, Catherine, and I think this is something that comes up quite a lot. Um, again, when, when I'm teaching, we're talking about the fourth trimester, we're talking about the three months following the baby's arrival, is this idea that partners will often say, well, what, what can I do in the first few months? Because the baby just eats and sleeps, right? And actually, we break it down a little bit more and we look into the details and we sort of think about, well, actually, you know, yes, they do sleep a lot. It's a bit sporadic, but there's also the top and tailing or the bathing, the skin to skin. There's um, the winding, there's the settling and the soothing, you know, all of those different things that they can have, you know, play a really key part in. And we talk, don't we, Becky, a lot about tag teaming. And I think part yeah. of that comes with the confidence of bringing them into the fold and saying, look, I need you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're part of this team. We're in this together. Like, we're on the same side. How do we, when we're experiencing exhaustion and fatigue, how do we all work together to kind of enjoy this as well? Because we deserve to enjoy it. Look, we made a human being. This is incredible. Yeah. And to celebrate that as well together. Definitely. And again, I think going back to having those conversations, like Catherine said, you know, maybe what what they know about mothers as well is what they've seen of their mothers and these women who do it all and love it. And, you know, because you don't often show when you're having a difficult time or you don't remember that, do you, as a kid? And so what, what I've seen in a lot of my couples is that the partner is very worried that the mother isn't happy all the time. She isn't smiling and kind of loving every minute. And, you know, they're immediately worry about, you know, depression and anxiety. And I'm like, you know, actually... There's a there's a massive identity shift going on. There's a massive like, who am I in this world? And like you said, Lecky, you know, where's the part of me that I remember that isn't the mum? And and I guess Catherine, I guess that does that just come back to talking again and and understanding the changes that that happen for for that birthing woman. Yeah, I mean, the identity shift is just huge, isn't it? There's just mm. there's there's really nothing else like it. I don't think you know just so much changes doesn't it you know your your relationships with so many other people and mm. your, your sense of what your role is in your community you know especially if you've been working and you stop working and then you know you've got less money and it, it, it there's just so much going on you know the how we feel about our sort of our sense of freedom or that mm. lost sense of freedom can really impact so yeah talking about it is really really important I think the other thing is to think about the different elements of your relationship so a sort of a a kind of a really satisfying kind of all-encompassing relationship would would have a a sort of a combination of commitment passion and friendship and the friendship bit is the bit that it's really important Mm. to work on through this so like you were saying, Alexis, the, you know, it's such an amazing thing to have a baby and to fall in love with this other person together at the same time is such a magical thing. So, you know, really connecting through that and looking for the moments of fun and joy and laughter through your days together, but also like really working on thinking like a team now more than ever, you know, mm-hmm. when you're making decisions, thinking what's going to benefit everyone. Is really important. Mm. But I think it's important as well to recognize that actually we're going to change loads through our lives together. You know, I think um, all of us a little bit further down the line, we can look back and think, you know, would I would I want to be in a relationship with the man that I met or the man that I married? Well, actually, no, I'm really glad mm. that he's <laughs> carried on growing and developing, evolving in the same mm. way that I have. So we have to make our commitment, I think, to the relationship rather than to the person. If you kind of expect the person that you committed to to stay the same, you're probably not actually going to be that happy together long term. So to kind of be patient and and give that space for each other to grow and change and recognise that it's a lifelong process. Who else would like a little miniature Catherine in their pocket that they can bring out every time these difficult conversations come up? It's so true, though. Actually, another thing that we talk about, Catherine, in, in our classes is, you know, neuroplasticity and the changes that happen mm-hmm. in the brain for women when they're pregnant and then their partners 
postnatally once they become a parent as well. It's incredible, isn't it? The power mm. of the hormones. And, totally. Yeah. And I taught them, I was like, just because you haven't carried, you haven't grown a baby and birthed a baby, you, you might be surprised to know your brain will physically change mm. after this baby arrives. You will go through. So no, we're not just sidelining you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very much in the fold and it will physically have an imprint on you when you become a parent as well. Mm. I don't think they realise that always, understandably, mm-hmm. yeah. the impact it will have on their lives. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I remember when we had our first and Bonnie, it just every now and again would sporadically burst into tears and he was, he'd look really shocked. He's like, what's happening? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a really emotional time. We're tired. We're in love. You know, it's like, and he's like, oh God, you know, like trying to like put all the tears back in and it really freaked him out. And then a friend of ours who was a midwife said, you know that the hormones affect you too, right? You know, and every time you pick up your baby, you're getting this huge rush of hormones as well. And he was like, oh, it kind of really like took him a while to adjust to feeling, like feeling, feeling so strongly. Because I think he was a typical, you know, bury it all down and you know not not Mm -hmm. um not feel it all which is Mm -hmm. quite funny I remember one of the couples I was working with um her male partner actually put their hand up and said are you telling me that that men have oxytocin as well (laughs) and I was like yes yes they do and skin to skin is going to be a lovely thing for you and your baby as well and that's going to be such a really beautiful part of your bonding process so I think I think it's so interesting how we, I think we have these perhaps misconceptions about what parenthood looks like for us and our, you know, significant other really. It's so easy to focus on the differences, isn't it? The fact that you're both going through this momentous change is in itself something that you have in common, isn't it? As well as the details that are actually similar. Yeah, definitely. And I think preempting what you need or what you might need from your partner is, or it is, you know, a good thing as well. Like we, I remember at a birth prep session once, the partner was very, he was quite anxious that he wasn't going to be able to do anything. He's like, well, what can I do? I really want to be able to help. And I said, well, you know, that there are loads of things you can do, you know, protecting her birth space, you know, making sure that she's, she's being seen and heard and gets what she wants. And I remember I got to the labor and we were out in the garden. It was this really warm, balmy night and um, it was lovely. They had a really beautiful sort of enclosed garden and she was really cracking on. And then she suddenly said, I want to birth out here. And I was like, oh, I'm not. And then he'd went. And the next thing I heard this like, eh, eh, and he was dragging the birthing pool out. And he was like, literally, she gets what she wants. And he he moved the birthing pool out to the garden. And I was like, I don't think the midwife's going to be very happy. He's like, I don't care. You told me she gets what she wants. And she did. She had her baby in the garden. Wow. And I was like, it was amazing. But it was like, it was so nice because they'd had that that conversation about what, you know, what she would need. And he he really mm. took it on board and took that as his utter role in the birth and it was just lovely it's one that's really stuck with me so yeah it's beautiful what about if you have got to the point where it's it's gone so far and you that intimacy just isn't there and you're not communicating you know how do you pull it back you know what what can you do to kind of bring that intimacy back into your relationship yeah, I think we we can get fixated on the sort of the big things, you know, like, oh, we need to, we, we've got to somehow find a way to get back out on date nights, which is great if you can, but it's not always an option or, oh, we need to go on a holiday or something, you know. But actually what really makes a difference is the little everyday moments, the tiny little things that happen. So, you know, just making a real effort to respond whenever your partner might be reaching out for your attention to, you know, be a, a little bit more looking out for when they're, whenever they're trying to speak to you. You put your phone down and make eye contact and listen to them, you know, showing interest in the things that they care about and concern when they're having a hard time. And even when you're having a hard time too, you know, still really listening to them, asking them loads of open questions. Those those kinds of things can can make a real difference. Um, And we have to keep our sense of humour as well, don't we? You know, sometimes we stop giving each other the benefit of the doubt when things go wrong because we start to sort of get into that like, I'm just annoyed with him. So then, you know, it's almost like we kind of, we're collecting, we get a bit of confirmation bias, don't we? We think, you know, oh, he's being useless. So it's like we start looking for things that we think that are unhelpful. But, you know, you can really turn things around into a, a, so that you're moving in a more positive direction by just telling them about the things that you're thinking and feeling and the nice things that happened to you today. You know, just 
making the kind of effort that you do with other people or with someone new that you've just met because sometimes we could just get into a terrible habit of treating our partners actually worse than anyone in our lives so you know trying to be as affectionate as you can saying thank you giving them compliments basically like pretend like you just met and you're actually making an effort with each other and it's amazing how quickly you can turn around the atmosphere in your home Mm-hmm. That's true. Becky, you often refer to being a, like when, when somebody feels like that, being a scratching post, don't you? Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's quite a good analogy, really, of how yeah. it can feel and totally understandable when you're yeah. with each other. And you find ways, don't you? I, I always find um, sometimes we're not so good at uh, sitting down at the table and chatting to each other face to face, you know, that kind mm. of, I don't know, we tend to get a bit heated. Whereas if we go for a walk and we walk mm. and talk at the same time, we, all, we always have the best chats in the car and walking. Like maybe it's not eyeballing yeah. each other and wanting to like punch each other. You kind of like side by mm-hmm. side. And we and I think walking is quite nice, isn't it? Because you're sort of moving. Really, really helpful. And it's such a good way to do it, especially when you've got really little ones and it's hard to find the time any other way. Yeah. You know, if you can put them in the buggy, if they're happy in the buggy, then you can create that time. And yeah, it's incredible that, you know, the power of being out in nature to just make mm. you feel better and have that bit more perspective on what you're talking about. Plus, there's just something about moving that it makes you feel like you're making progress and you're going somewhere together mm. that you've got the power to make a change so that's yeah so if things are if things are being feeling really intense and yeah that's an excellent tip becky yeah I think we, dan and i have often said that we've made some of the biggest decisions of our lives on the m40 and the m4 <laughs> going to visit our parents and it's just the time when the kids have been you know listening to a podcast or the radio or just quiet in the back perhaps they've fallen asleep and we're just talking and there's no agenda and we're just naturally organically sort of letting it flow and suddenly we're like Oh, okay, then should we move next year from London to Brighton? Yeah, maybe we should start planning that. (laughs) And those things start coming up. I think that you're absolutely right. I never thought about the analogy of of that literally moving forward and then sort of metaphorically moving forward as well. And in terms of, um, so some of our ladies... uh, the kind of physical intimacy is is tricky you know get like you know that thing of like you've had a row and it's like how do you get back to that sort of and you said earlier mm. on keep keep talking keep touching I really like that actually as a, a sort of rule of thumb I hadn't heard that one before and and touching kind of does bring that closeness doesn't it when you're yeah I mean everything everything that you guys teach people about oxytocin and bonding and skin to skin you know this stuff doesn't just apply to babies this stuff applies to couples too you know one thing that I really recommend to couples is that you know I know it can be difficult when you've got really young babies and you know you might be co-sleeping it might be more complicated than this but once you get to the point that it's a possibility if you can start your evening by having a cuddle and a talk about your day even if it's just five minutes once the baby's asleep just go sit on the sofa or get in bed have a little cuddle and have a little chat about your day that can be so powerful it's really interesting when I sort of recently saw an old couple walking down the street holding hands and I'm talking about they must have been in their 80s and it just did something to me it just made me feel sort of all the love in that direction and how beautiful that and maybe I was putting something onto it perhaps they just started dating but it felt like (laughs) that perhaps there was history there and that kind of but they were yet still so connected in their more senior years just seemed really special yeah, it really means a lot, doesn't it? You know, I think mm. that we've all realised this recently when we've been so physically disconnected from people, mm. the impact that it's had on us to not be able to touch in the way that we normally can with people that we care about beyond our own our own household. You know, we are one thing that happens when you have a baby is you get that real sense of, wow, I really am just an animal. Yes. Mm. Those physical Definitely. needs, are, they're, they're really strong. And I we need we way. need to meet those needs for for feeling close and bonded, you know, completely separately to our need for sex. That you know that need is still there even mm. if we're not having sex. Mm. I think that's really interesting, Catherine. What you said earlier on about you know skin to skin is not just for babies, but mm. actually if you look at the evolution of it really and how soothing it is for a baby, why wouldn't that then? be the same for adult human beings who mm-hmm. need comfort, who need to be soothed, who 
are feeling those emotions. We have a chapter in the book, the postnatal book called Back in the Sack. And it was, you know, lots and lots of women worry about how do you how do you get your kind of sex life back up again after birth, particularly if you've had a vaginal birth. And, you know, Mm. and uh, one of the things we say is just lie together skin to skin. You know, don't you don't have to have sex, but just lying skin to skin. And then you're both creating the hormone and that you'll feel close and um, and actually, we've had a few emails from people saying, oh, it was really nice. It, you know, I hadn't wouldn't even thought to do that. You know, the only time we get skin to skin is when we're going to get down to mm-hmm. it. And actually, it was nice yeah. just to have a, a naked cuddle, which, you know, again, it's having those conversations, yeah. isn't it? That's wonderful. That's such good advice that you give there. Yeah, because mm. it, it can happen, can't it? You know, if you think when you were first together before you had children, how much time you would spend just lying around together and then sex would just kind of naturally arise out of that yeah. situation, wouldn't it? And then when you've got children and you've been together much longer and there's so there's so much less time for the two of you without the kids around, we can get into a bit of a like, right, we've got to do it. Are we going to do it? It's just, it's, it's, yeah. kind of, it's so unrealistic. And it, it really doesn't fit with the way that women's arousal works either. No, you go from doing the dishes to like, right, we've got five minutes, you know, it's like <laughs> your, your hormones just can't catch up. <laughs> no. I think sometimes having a cheeky snog in the kitchen while you're cooking the dinner together and letting mm. the kids see that happening yeah. and letting them be like, ooh, but they yeah. really love it. Like we noticed <laughs> that we, we had a little bit of a snog, I think, in front of our son last month or something. And I remember Dan said to me afterwards, oh, did you see his face though? Because he had this <laughs> cheekiest little smirk on him. But I think in a weird way, it was his way of being like, ooh, don't do that in front of me. But at the same time, we like, but it's nice to see that they're connected maybe subconsciously he didn't mm-hmm. realize but there was that element to it certainly yeah so those little moments are so important aren't they to just to remember who you were before you yes. became mum and dad to remember why you wanted to be together and that all of that helps with the stuff about your own identity as well doesn't it you know I'm sure that those moments when you have a, a, snog, a snog in the kitchen <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say a slog I thought mm, I what's going on there it can be that as well <laughs> a bit of a Freudian slip there <laughs> <laughs> and you have a slog in the kitchen you know you you don't feel like mum do you no exactly because even using the word snog takes you back to the 80s and 90s <laughs> yeah. doesn't it let's yeah. be honest <laughs> but again keeping your sense of humor it's amazing it all ties into each other doesn't it like everything mm-hmm. ties into so I had a client recently who said you know she was so anxious about having sex for the first time and how is it going to be and how you know would they be all right and he was picking up on her anxiety so he was all fumbly and she said it was literally like we were teenagers he like tripped over as he was taking his pants off and you know just (laughs) hilarious stuff and then she said she started like her milk started coming and she said it got to the point where they didn't actually get around to having sex because they were laughing so much at how ridiculous the whole situation was but yet that was brilliant for them because it was Mm -hmm. just what they needed and they ended up just having I think he said shall I make us a cup of tea and they had a cup of tea and just had a laugh and a bit of a cuddle but I thought oh how lovely you know and again it's like not taking it too seriously like it's okay it's all so different and I'll bodies doing really different things and yeah yeah. recognizing that that having a laugh together is just as important and that's something that needs to be got back on track you know we can think of sex as like this really important thing that needs to be sorted out but actually you know being able to have fun together again yeah it really matters Catherine we finish every podcast episode with the same question and we ask it to all of our guests and that question is if you could add a note to the mother box headed out for a new mother with your best bit of advice on it what would it say Catherine you know I think we live in a really child-centric culture now and and the parents needs can quite often get lost in that so I think one of the most important things that we need to tell new mothers is that looking after you is looking after them and just to extend that to the relationship, you know, to recognize that looking after your relationship is not selfish. It's not just for you and your partner. It is looking after all of you. If you're, mm. you know, you're, you're, we're going to expect our relationships to sustain our growing families and we need, we need to prioritize them if they're going to be able to do that. So making sure that we keep on having those snogs in the kitchen while the spag bowl is on, <laughs> ready for dinner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Catherine, we can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's been so insightful, so interesting. And I think really, really enriching for other, you know, expectant mums and their partners to hear about how these changes that we all go through in our relationship is is so normal. And it's not, you know, it's not an isolated situation for them. And then Mm -hmm. not to feel alone. 
and that many of us it's such a huge adjustment and Catherine if a couple you know does need a little bit of extra help how can they get in touch with you how can they use your services so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook I'm insight and connection I work with individuals and couples in person in Brighton and Hove but also online as well and you can also find details of my online courses on there as well thank you guys so much for having me on oh thanks for coming it's been great Thanks once again to Catherine Topham Sly. What a brilliant conversation that was. We hope you got a lot out of it because we certainly did. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. Do let us know what you thought over on Instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time on Notes from the Mother Box. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.